but would also partake of the holy nature of God and eventually receive the life of God for the expression of God and such chosen and predestinated, redeemed and regenerated human beings will in fact eventually become his wife and his eternal kingdom. We are approaching now the general subject which I want to define so that we all have a kind of common understanding. When God created the first male human being, the proclamation was made, it's not good, not good for him to be alone. So God produced the counterpart by actually reproducing the man he created. By taking part of him and using that part of him to build the female counterpart. This indicates in picture or in typology that the way our God will have the counterpart is to impart something of his own life and nature into the human beings he created and eventually redeemed in order to make them the reproduction of Christ. And that reproduction of Christ become the corporate expression of the triune God. Amen. Now some tonight, hearing this expression, the reproduction of Christ for the first time, may understandably be perplexed, if not even a little troubled. So let us cut the truth very straight. The Son of God in the Godhead is the only begotten Son. The Godhead is unchanging. So none of the three, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit can ever change. The only begotten Son will continue to be in the Godhead, the only begotten Son. But deliberately and with a proper spirit, I wrote an article for Affirmation and Critique as a challenge to systematic theology. The article was entitled the only begotten son and his brothers. 
right out of the Gospel of John. 118, the only begotten Son, he has declared God. 316, God sent his only begotten Son. But this one, identified as the only begotten Son, said to a seeking sister on the morning of his resurrection, go to my brothers. Well, how can the only begotten Son of God have brothers and still continue to be the only begotten Son? It's because... The only begotten Son, by incarnation, became a man, known as the Son of Man. And as this God-man, he died for our redemption. Then in his resurrection, his humanity was divinized, was glorified, and uplifted into his sonship, and he was designated the firstborn son of God. There is no change in the Godhead. There cannot be. The son remains the only begotten son, but in God's economy... He's the firstborn. The designation firstborn clearly implies others. We are the others. His brothers regenerated through the very resurrection through which he was designated the son of God with his humanity. It is in this sense that we speak of the reproduction of Christ. So objectively, through Christ's death and resurrection, we'll see this in message two, the unique grain of wheat the incarnated Son of God fell into the ground and died and produced many grains. That's reproduction. God has regenerated millions of children. That is reproduction. So we confidently, based on the scriptures, use this expression... The reproduction of Christ. Now how does this actually happen? In creation, God's intention was to produce a vessel to receive and contain God himself as life. But sin bringing forth death damaged the one created by God. 
became a necessary recovery procedure. Redemption means we were lost, we have been bought, and now we belong. Redemption restores us to God's original intention. Redemption makes it possible for a holy and righteous God to make himself one with us and to dispense himself into us. Redemption makes it possible for us to come just as we are based upon the blood of Jesus and contact the Lord of glory and have fellowship with him. So Christ's redemptive death and life-imparting resurrection now makes it possible for human beings all over the earth to enter the process of becoming the reproduction of Christ. And the first step is our announcing of the gospel of God. So that those who hitherto did not know God, did not believe in Christ, would have the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ shine into them. Faith is generated in them. They believe into Christ. They are born of God. And now Christ as the life-giving spirit enters into them. Actually enters into a human being. Just think about it. It's hard to think about it for more than two seconds. Right now, we have the triune God inside of us. In Christ as the Spirit. So every time one human being responds to the gospel, calls on the Lord, turns to God, there is joy in heaven. Joy before the angels of God. We believe now and in the years to come there's going to be a lot of joy in heaven over new ones saved throughout Europe. Then in the normal way ordained by God these new believers are immersed into the triune God. We baptize them in, into the name of the Father and of the Son and Holy, Holy Spirit. We establish local churches, one per city, as the expression of the body of Christ. And then a real burden and battle emerge. And the burden related to it are that the Christ who has been born into so many dear people would increase in them. 
Make home in them. Saturate them. Permeate them. Constitute them. That the Christ who is in their regenerated spirit would expand into every part of their mind, emotion, and will to such a point that the believers will eventually sense a longing deep within them. Like the lover of the Lord in Song of Songs chapter 8, I want to be with you. I want to be raptured. I want to be glorified. Now the brothers, the blending brothers, who participate in the New Testament ministry, according to the heads, the Christ administration, we have different portions. We have different functions. And a constant burden in my being, day and night, is for the growth, the expansion of Christ in all the saints. And concerning this, there is war. And so we let the enemy know something. To remind him of something frightening to him. We were created not only in God's image to express him. We were created to represent him with his authority and to deal with his enemy. So though he is fighting, he will allow people to be saved. He does not want the Christ in them to increase. He wants to hold them, confine them, imprison them in the shell of their self, their natural life, and their culture. He will use the culture as the hardest shell to impede the corporate expression. So what wisdom is it of God, although he cares for the whole earth, to focus on a continent with incredibly diverse, and let's admit it, often incompatible cultures, and to produce right here, visibly and practically, a glorious corporate expression of the triune God. Amen. I believe when the Lord has this to the degree that he needs in Europe, when he has this to that degree, that will be an indicator the body has been built up, the bride has been prepared, and the bridegroom is coming. Amen. 
So our subject could not be more central to God, his will, his good pleasure. God wants a counterpart that matches his son in every way other than the Godhead. We know from Matthew 22, the kingdom of the heavens is made for his son. God the Father wants to prepare a wedding dinner for his son as the firstborn. And he wants there to be a corporate person, the bride, the wife, that matches his son in every way. This is what God wants. I say this on his behalf. God wants a wife for his son. And God wills and God wants a sphere, a realm, where he can, without hindrance, express himself and do whatever is on his heart. That, be, that lies behind the prayer. Your will be done as in heaven, so on earth. The first message, which we're now entering into, is not directly on the general subject, because something foundational and basic concerning Christ himself needs to be presented and needs to be appreciated. I would say Generally speaking, concerning the seven billion people on the earth, as God looks upon them, they have two striking characteristics. One is, no one is for God. Everyone is for the self. That is the effect of sin. No one. No one by nature is for God. We were created to be for him. But the satanic element did something drastic to our soul to make us all a self that is centered on itself. And everyone and everything God included must cater to this self. So how can God carry out his will when the earth is filled with people who couldn't care less about anything that isn't focused on them? If you have trouble 
I say this quite directly. If you have trouble with this thought, it may be because you don't know the self. This is just what happened to us. And then the second characteristic is people have no idea why they exist. I simply have no idea what is the mindset of the young in Europe. For Actually, for very many years, I devoted a lot of study and thought to European literature and philosophy and art, especially after World War I and World War II, because I could hear the cry for meaning. The unashamed quest for purpose. And that echoed something. There was a response. What is it all about? At least the European young people feel about it. The Americans generally are too busy having fun. <laughs> so I don't know how it is now in outward expression. But how sad for people to go through the course of their human life for themselves and, and having not a clue as to why they're here. So in outline one, in message one, we want to consider two things that are focused on Christ himself. And before I read the title, and, and it, admittedly it's a rather lengthy one, I want to share something precious, delightful, wonderful, about the Lord Jesus. He is the only man, the only human who ever lived, who lived absolutely for God. Nothing for himself, nothing. And in the Old Testament, among the offerings that were presented, usually they were slain animals. There is one called the burnt offering. And that burnt offering was slain and then cut into pieces and placed on the altar and burned to ashes. No part of it other than the skin was of benefit to anyone. So it was burned to ashes. And later in the Old Testament, God refers to that offering as his food. Other offerings were specially designed to deal with sin and trespasses 
and other kinds of defects. But this one offering, the burnt offering, was not mainly for redemption. In the book of Leviticus, that in detail records the offerings, the first one mentioned is the burnt offering. And why is that? It's because the fundamental human problem in relation to God is that we are not for God. Understandably and practically, we may say, it's sin. It's the trespasses, of course. But the reason for that rests in not being for God. So the God-man came. And he lived the life that was the reality of this burnt offering. Every word, every thought, every motive, every feeling, every decision, every action, everything was for God. He emptied himself of his splendor. He humbled himself to be not only a human, but to be a slave obedient unto death. He could say in John 5, 19, the son can do nothing out from himself. I just love and treasure right now this wonderful person that is absolutely for God. He died at the age of 33 and a half for God. The Christ whom God wants to reproduce in us is a Christ who is not for himself, but absolutely for God. This will be one of the first things we sense inwardly regarding him. When he was asked what's the greatest commandment, he could quote the verse from Deuteronomy. You shall love the Lord your God from your whole heart, from your whole soul, from your whole mind, from your whole strength. Actually, this is a definition of him. Have you ever considered this? There is a person living in you who loves God the Father from his whole heart, from his whole soul, his whole mind, his whole strength. And the more he is reproduced in us, the more he makes us in him the same. It is only this kind of person <clears throat> will have the other characteristic 
of the Lord I want to mention. And we're familiar with one of the last things he uttered in his prayer in Gethsemane. When there was a struggle regarding the cup and the Father's will. He was asking, can this cup pass from me? I'm not governed by the cup. I'm governed by your will. Not my will, but your will be done. It was prophesied concerning the Lord and fulfilled in Hebrews 10 that he would say, I delight to do your will, O my God. I delight. It's a joy to me. In John 4, when the disciples were sent away to get food, the Lord had the conversation issuing from his need for water with that Samaritan woman. The disciples returned with food. The Lord had no appetite. The clueless disciples asked, did someone beat us to this? Did they bring food? The Lord said, I have food to eat that you don't know of. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Now the Lord covers me. I give you a brief mini testimony of the Lord's mercy. Altogether his mercy. How this happened, when it happened, I don't know. But I know it governs every day of my life. And this year, more than any other year of my life, in death and in love, it has governed everything. I exist for the perfect Will of God. And I'd like to tell the trainees in a shepherding way, not in a commanding way. God's will, in God's way, and in God's time. And I'm far from young. Although I may be kind of a young, older person. (laughs) That's for you to decide. It's never been more real. I'm in the midst of it right now. This is your will. Now, how do you want to do it? Every step, direct every step. What is your timing? When do you want to do it? The government doesn't decide about when they will grant the fiancé visa. The throne will decide. Well, the Lord Jesus, he said, my food is to do God's will. He said, I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I don't seek my own will. So I'd like to present afresh a wonderful Christ 
who wants to reproduce himself in us with these two characteristics. He is a person who constantly set himself aside for God and God's heart's desire. He is a person who did not even seek his own will. And he drank the cup. And he suffered in a way only God the Father can comprehend. The inward parts of the offerings were burned for God because only God can appreciate the depth, the intensity of his son's suffering. And the son could say, the father willed this. Yes, the heavens rejoice whenever a sinner repents. But we could have five billion saved and regenerated sinners. And still God has no way to carry out his purpose. His goal is not to populate heaven with billions of redeemed people. God wants a wife for his son, a corporate person who matches his son. God wants a kingdom produced by filled with children of God becoming sons of God. So the Lord needs, I dare say this, because he's working within temporary limitations. God needs among the believers and in the churches brothers and sisters who are willing to become the reproduction of a self-denying will of God doing Christ. I know no other way to take. I married Susan Harris, because it was the will of God accompanied by the love of God. And it was the will of God that she finished her course. It's the will of God that I press on. On June 25th, I learned something else about the will of God. Not about death, but about love. But he has a way to do it. And a timing to do it. We have to realize something. You know, I don't exalt any place. I don't prefer anyone, any place, or any other. But there are certain burdens Deep in my being that I can release only in Europe. 
This reproduction of Christ has two main aspects of it, experientially. The primary one is that the Christ whom we love, experience, and enjoy is making his home in our heart. He's spreading throughout our inward parts, permeating and saturating our mind, emotion, and will. The other side is, if this is to actually happen, something else has to be taking place inside of us all the time. And it's this refusal, this unwillingness for this matter to take place is what caused the vast majority of my generation in North America in the Lord's recovery either to leave or to get stuck. The Christ who is reproducing himself in us for the bride and for the kingdom is a Christ who is absolutely for God. So he needs our openness and willingness for him to touch anything and everything in us that is not for God. It has to be exposed to us. It has to be touched. The Christ who is reproducing himself in us is the will of God man. Amen. He did not seek his own will. He did not do his own will. He was obedient unto death. He said if anyone wills to do his, that is God's will, he'll know where my teaching is coming from. That's John 7, 17. So the heart knower, even now, is not necessarily looking only into the depths of our spirit, but into our will. Are you willing to do my will in every matter, in every relationship, no matter what it is? This is the Christ, I say again and again, who is being reproduced. Our overwhelming emphasis is on him living in us, revealed in us, living in us, being formed in us, making home in us, being magnified in us, becoming everything in us. But if Christ is to increase, there has to be real decrease. Costly, experiential decrease. And we are willing, I believe, for the decrease only when we're governed by the vision of the heart's desire of God, the glorious vision of the bride of Christ, of a kingdom full of glory, of a new heaven and a new earth. It's when we see the vision 
this wonderful Christ, this glorious purpose, this calling upward, the will of God, the desire of God's heart. I've learned something. Maybe for the first time in my life in the last few months, I bear witness that it's a reality. Love is as strong as death. I confronted both. Eventually, when the love of God is poured out in our hearts, when the radiant glory of the Lord shines in us, when God makes known the desire of his heart, something is infused into us that we respond by giving ourselves to him. They say, Lord, here I am, just as I am. I, won't, I can't promise to be better. I won't try to be better. That will just hinder you. I give myself to you again and tell you whatever is in your heart concerning me for your desire, do that. Whatever you want to do, whatever you want to touch, wherever you want to go, I have no regrets. No regrets for the loss. No regrets about the funeral. Because the will of God governs everything. And it doesn't end with death. It ends with love as strong as death. So becoming the reproduction of Christ is becoming the reproduction of the Christ who expresses God, not the self, and who does the will of God, nothing for himself. This is the wonderful person who is reproducing himself in us then as that process is taking place, starting from our regenerated spirit, we are being renewed in the spirit of the mind. And then we understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul in Ephesians 1 says, God is... God has made known unto us the mystery of his will. The context shows it's to have the body of Christ. But then in chapter 5, he says, understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand why you exist. Understand why you were saved. Understand why you're in the recovery. Understand why the Lord measures out certain things to you. Understand the Lord's way of caring for you. And you just realize this is what God wants. And by the Son living in me, I trust this God. I worship this God. I praise this God. I love this God. Now we can read through the outline. 
finishing before nine with adequate time for responses. Experiencing Christ as the burnt offering and being renewed in the spirit of the mind that we may be filled with the full knowledge of God's will and understand what the will of the Lord is. The outline is helpful even in its imperfections. And <clears throat> there will be other corrections forthcoming for which I bear responsibility. The outline will help solidify the thought. The burnt offering which was wholly for God's satisfaction as food for God signifies Christ as God's good pleasure and satisfaction. As the one who is living on earth was absolutely for God. The kingdom in which we have entered through regeneration is called in Colossians 1, the kingdom of the son of God's love. God delights in his son. He delights in the son himself. And he delights in the son in us. And now, right now, whether we know it or not, we are in such a delightful kingdom. Full of love, life, and light. Whenever we sense as a result of our giving ground to the Lord to be the person in us, whenever we sense God's delight in this Son, then we have an indescribable enjoyment as a byproduct. God just delights in his son himself, and in his son in us, he was absolutely for God. Regarding Christ as the reality of the Old Testament offerings, we need to realize that our first situation before God is that in ourselves, we are not for God. Our life is a life for self. Not for God. In 1968, I went with 140 saints from North America to visit Taiwan for the first time. Stayed in, with the church in Taipei for a few weeks. I never experienced such light. And I was in a room <clears throat> with 18 brothers. And I woke up during the night, everyone was quiet, and the Lord shined a light on all the preaching I had done up to that time, even though I was still only in my late 20s. I started when I was 16. I gave one message that might have been pure. All the rest 
were impure. And the Lord just exposed. It was all for the self. All in yourself. And he gave me a deep repentance with a decision. Not a promise, but a decision. Never again like that. Never again. I want to continue the rest of the testimony because it might be beneficial to some. Immediately after this penetrating light, yet with life and love, I sense Satan's personal presence now accusing me, viciously accusing me. And I just recently read the chapter in the Glorious Church on the overcomers, how they overcome. And so, as best I could, I applied the blood of the Lamb to silence him. But it wasn't sufficient. He kept going. I realized I need the word of my testimony. So we were renting a large school building so I I got up and went to the shower room where we all had our cold water showers every morning and I gave my first message to the devil the word of our testimony is the word that the man Jesus destroyed the devil on the cross And now the God-man Jesus is on the throne. I believe one reason I share this. Don't, please, don't be afraid of the light. I, I was deeply touched by a brother, a brother serving in Israel. He gave this testimony in Malaga several years ago. How he prayed to the Lord. He's an elderly person. So, Lord, anything that might be an issue at the judgment seat, I ask you to deal with now. Enlighten me now. The self hates to be exposed. It hates to be put into a situation to realize how it really is, but it's a great deliverance. So I stop trying to be better. How can I be better? I'm just a self for the self. Thank the Lord. There is a burnt offering. There is a person. I can lay my hands on him, spiritually speaking. Identify with him. Take him as what I cannot be. So our first situation is that we're not for God. Our life is a life for self, not for God. B, the burnt offering typifies Christ, not mainly in his redeeming us from sin, but in his living a life that is perfect and absolutely for God and for God's satisfaction. And in his being the life that enables God's people to have such a living. 
not by imitation, but by reproduction, by Jesus living again in us. The life he lived as a God-man on the earth. Will you let him, will you let him do it? You think sometime during about the 41 or 2 hours we're together this weekend, you might just converse with him and say, Lord, I choose to allow you to live again. Then the Lord may indicate, yes, but in order for me to live in you, You have to let me be your person. Let me be the person. Let me make your home in your heart. To settle down there. Paul could say, it is Christ the person living in me. Not life as a thing living in me. And only you can make this decision. When a brother proposes to a sister, she and only she can make a decision. If she says yes, both are happy. If she says no, one is sad. If she says nothing, that's passivity, and passivity equals no. This by being passive, we delay. The reproduction of Christ. We shouldn't. We don't need to promise, but we need to decide. Lord, I will let you live in me the life you lived on the earth, and I will let you. And I want you to touch anything that hinders you from living this way. C says, by laying our hands on Christ as the burnt offering, we are joined to him, and he and we become one. Literally, the offerer laid his hands to identify. For us, this is being one spirit with the Lord. In such a union, such an identification All our weaknesses, defects, and faults are taken on by him. Isn't this wonderful? He would say, let me me deal with all of it. All of it. Your entire history. Your weakest points. Your dispositional problems. Whatever it is. Don't try to improve. Let me handle it. Let me take it. They're taken on by him. By such a union, Christ becomes one with us and lives in us, repeating in us the life that he lived on earth, the life of the burnt offering. And the way we do this is with simple prayer. Nothing formal. 
you might be stuck in traffic. You might be in the shower. I get moments of inspiration. I don't know what there is. You sing there and the Lord is moving there and just say, Lord, I need you as the burnt offering. And I just take you as my burnt offering for today. We need to apply this by praying. Praying like this is the way of application. But it's conversational prayer. It's not formal prayer. Lord, I love the way when Dick Taylor says it, we lay our hands on your beautiful head. But if we're passive, nothing happens. But we don't have to use willpower. That's useless. But to exercise our will with our spirit. I told him in simplicity, Lord, before tonight's meeting, I need you as my burnt offering. Long as I'm in the flesh, I have no confidence that I could ever be for God myself. So I just forget the whole thing. Take you as the person. D, we need to take Christ as our burnt offering daily so that we may experience Christ in his experiences as the burnt offering. Not imitating Christ outwardly, but living him in our daily life. So actually this offering was skinned, was flayed, it was cut. The Lord in his living experienced all of this. Brother Nee surely did. Brother Lee certainly did. Now, in a limited way, we're learning what this is. One brother, he sent me an email because I don't do this kind of searching, but he just found out just the kind of things that are written concerning some of us in darkness. He said, I could only pray. And my response, sincerely, to the writer, whoever they are, hiding in darkness. It's actually good for me. It really is good for us that you do these things because the Lord uses us to experience him. But it's not good for you because every word will be recorded and brought to you. So we're not heroes, we're not martyrs, but we're prepared to let Christ reproduce himself in his living. And this requires we enter into the fellowship of his sufferings without being obsessed with it. Say, okay, if that's what it takes for you to gain Europe, 
for you to prepare the bride, for you to bring in the kingdom, I say amen. Amen. That's a little thing. Now we have a little section on coming to know God's will and understand it. It's very interesting that when Paul heard that people in Colossae had been brought to the Lord, he never met them. But he began to pray for them in a certain way that he mentions in Colossians 1.9. Therefore we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease praying and asking on your behalf that you may be filled with the full knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's how he prayed. Soon as he heard, if he would hear, oh, refugees, Farsi speakers in Europe are being saved. He would pray without ceasing. Lord, fill them with the full knowledge of your will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This this is how we prayed. This is how a will of God man prays. You just long that these new ones would now know why they're saved. Why they exist. Why the Lord in his sovereignty brought them to Europe. So that they could be saved and regenerated. And brought into the kingdom of God. But they need to know. They need to be filled. Filled with the full knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then very interesting also. That the brother who probably brought all these Colossians to the Lord. Listen to what. Paul says concerning him in Colossians 4.12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a slave of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Okay, we need this. We need to be filled with the full knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I hope you won't misunderstand me. We cannot go very far on a borrowed vision. Oh, Brother Nee saw this. Brother Lee saw this. But we may not see it. We don't see it initially. We don't see it directly. But it all needs to become an inward reality. We're filled with it. I know what God wants. I'd be happy. I don't think the theologians in Tubingen would want to give me the time of the day. But I would like to tell them I know what God wants. But you're one of the greatest theological institutions on the earth, Tübingen. Does anybody know 
what the will of God is? The will in Revelation 4.11? That God wants a wife? Do you know how God will obtain the wife? Are you helping your fellow Germans get engaged? I like to help people get engaged in more ways than one. We can have the assurance, fully assured, fully assured. This is what God wants. This is why I breathe. Again and again, as Tanya and I Skype each other and praise the Lord together, we just say, amazing, amazing, God did this for the body, for the bride. That's why the body reacts the way it does. It doesn't stop with us. We need to be fully assured and have an understanding of what it is God wills to do. In order for our thoughts to become, no, sorry, in order for God's thoughts to become our thoughts and for us to be filled with the full knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, we need to be renewed in the spirit of the mind. Okay, you all live in Europe, so let me ask you. Do you think the German mind, the French mind, and the British mind are the same mind? No way. You think the Russian mind and the Italian mind and the Portuguese mind are all one mind? Oh, in minds we differ, in spirit we're the same. And it's what we are in our mind that divides us and separates us. And the soul is the organ of expression. And the leading part of the soul is the mind. So if there is to be a corporate expression of the triune God, our mind needs to be renewed. So even though we retain the same language and we eat the same kind of food, intrinsically, there's no difference. So we begin with the mind. The will of God in Colossians 1.9 is his will regarding his eternal purpose and economy concerning Christ. When the life-giving spirit who is mingled with our regenerated human spirit spreads into our mind, this mingled spirit becomes the spirit of our mind. It is by this mingled spirit that our mind is renewed. So th this is where the battle is. Who will retain the mind? The enemy through ourself and our natural life, or Christ as the spirit in our spirit, renewing our thinking, our concepts, so that with this renewed mind, we understand what the perfect will of God is. That's Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this age, 
be transformed by the renewing of the mind that you may prove what the will of God is. The spirit in Ephesians 4.23 is the regenerated spirit of the believers, which is mingled with the indwelling spirit of God. Such a mingled spirit spreads into our mind, thus becoming the spirit of our mind. It is in such a spirit that we are renewed for our transformation. So based upon Christ being the burnt offering and our allowing him to work himself into us, the Lord will flow from our spirit as the spirit into the mind. One brother was only in the recovery for a few weeks. He was shepherding me. Sadly, he's no longer with us, but I can't deny the precious help he gave me. He said, you may want to ask the Lord what you think about. So I did in simplicity. And I'll just tell you, the Lord just right away, one word, money. How much money is in your thoughts? So right away when the mind opens, the mingled spirit needs to go there and renew it so that we all have the same mind. Not imposed. That's totalitarianism. But constituted. Then we understand what the will of the Lord is. We're assured. This is why I exist. Two, to be renewed in the spirit of our mind is inward and intrinsic. This renewing revolutionizes our logic, philosophy, thought, concept, and psychology. Probably in Europe, the deepest philosophy is German. The clearest might be French. The most logical is the British. Don't debate an Englishman. <laughs> you cannot outwit a Brit. Okay? So we got all these different things going on in our mind. We may think, small thing. No. No expression. The soul is the organ of expression. What will our soul express? Ourself or the Christ of glory in our spirit. The bridge from the spirit into the soul is through the mind. The renewing of the mind. In order for the one new man to come into full existence, we must experience a thorough renewal of our mind, which has been built up according to our nationality and culture. I pointed out that <clears throat> maybe I should get a DNA, DNA test to find out for sure, but my parents told me you're half Finnish and half Swedish, but only the Finnish part, the culture, dominated. And one word, dear to the heart of Finns, sisu, sisu, 
S-I-S-U, Sisu, which means we're downright tough. <laughs> Stubborn, strong-willed, indomitable, but with a kind of odd sense of humor about the whole thing. So the Russians overwhelm us because they have superior numbers, but we Finns have Sisu. So if I need to go to Helsinki, then go to Turku, and visit other places and tell the Finns, Sisu is dung. <laughs> the highest value of your cultures. Someone even gave me a mug with the word Sisu on it. You're going to have to let go of your Finnish sisu for the sake of the reproduction of Christ and the corporate expression of the triune God. The more we are renewed in the spirit of the mind, the more we will understand what the will of the Lord is. So I hope at least part of the burden has been released. Tomorrow in the Lord's Day, we will trace the reproduction of Christ for the corporate expression of the triune God in John, then in Romans, then, oh, I'm looking forward to tomorrow night in Song of Songs, then in Revelation. So we trust that on the Lord's Day afternoon, we'll all leave with a little more Christ and a little more understanding of God's will than when we came. Okay, the brothers will now direct us in how to carry out the rest of the meeting.